welcome back to another podcast about history. That's right, world history. Now, I know you're excited, so let's get right into it. Today, we're going to be talking about industrialization. So, just to give you a quick little thing here. Oh, by the way, if you hear any background noises, uh, perhaps people hitting golf balls or little kids swimming, I'm currently recording at... Uh, a country club here as I'm waiting for some tennis to start. So I apologize for any background noise. But anyhow, on with the show. Industrialization has its roots in England, where it initially started in the mid-17th century. So just to give you a quick little textbook definition of industrialization. Industrialization is a historical phase and experience. Industrialization is the overall change in circumstances accompanying a society's movement, population, and resources from farm production to manufacturing production and associated services. Alright, the quick version of this. Basically, a society is moving from farming mostly to manufacturing. So we're getting away from just you know being having a whole bunch of farmers to people working in businesses and producing goods and so forth. And we're going to kind of break this down into four big areas, uh, and that is going to be agriculture, money or finances, natural resources, and markets. And we'll go into a little bit more in depth about each one of these four here. So the starting off, agriculture. So industrialization hit the agricultural uh, industry area first, and a lot of this uh, happened with the expansion of farmland. And because of new equipment, new designs, uh, tractors, uh, one person could do these huge amounts of land and cultivating it where, you know, you might need a, you know, probably about 10, 20 people to do the same amount of work. Also, um, England, specifically here, they had pretty decent weather when it came to growing. So it made growing food a lot easier and then I could cultivate more. So they didn't really have a lot of um, uh, issues with that. Uh, furthermore, improved transportation. Now that we have vehicles, uh, trains, and uh, you know canals and boats, which we'll talk a little bit more about later, uh, we are able to get uh, the food to more people and farther away. So, I mean, if you think about it in today's society, I mean, if you know, a lot of the food we eat does not get grown around here. So, I really like pineapple. Yeah, pineapple is not going to be grown uh, around here. So, anyhow, um, about this food thing. So, now that we're able to feed more people with less labor, well, the food supply is up. So, it is, you know, when there's a lot of something, the price generally goes down a little bit. So, we saw a huge population increase. So, that's agriculture. Moving on, let's talk about money. So, Britain at this time had a lot of money. Uh, they had this huge empire, and I mean, Britain is still very well off today. So Britain had a lot of money at this time, and with all this money comes investments. And they could put money into the economy, uh, you know, just, you know, investing in schools and businesses, government contracts and all these things. So in general, the economy grew. So when the economy is doing well, the people do well, the entire country does well. All right, moving on to our next one here, natural resources. Britain was and is still fairly plentiful in natural resources, and anything they don't have locally, they probably have something in control of their empire. So we'll talk about the British Empire a little bit later on. So uh, a lot of these resources they had was iron ore, coal, and water. And this water can be used not just for drinking, but for power, if you think of like, you know, steam engines and also, um, you know, the old-fashioned water wheel, and transportation, which we're talking about with boats and so forth here. So that's natural resources. And let's talk about markets. All right, there were a lot of markets for British goods. And like we said earlier, I alluded to 
Britain having control of you know this huge empire. So Britain is an island nation. Okay, so that means if they want to get out to other markets, other countries, they're going to have to have some boats. And the Royal Navy uh, was very extensive and could protect a lot of their trading routes and so forth. So they would take a lot of their ships and they would, you know, be able to, you know, FedEx, so to speak, all of their goods to all these different places. And if you think back to kind of Napoleon, he tried to stop them with this thing called the Continental System. So obviously Britain had a very good uh, good way of transporting stuff. I mean, con uh, Napoleon knew not to do this, uh, just kind of stay away from it with the Continental System, but he wasn't able to keep them from doing it. Um, and lastly, we're going to continue with transportation. So now that we have all of these goods, and we need to get them to point A to point B. Obviously, we're going to have some boats, but also we can get them within our country. So we have navigable rivers, which are just rivers that are easy to navigate down. You don't just want a little creek. So we have a lot of river boats. Um, also, you could have man-made rivers, which are canals. Uh, if you think locally here in northwest Ohio, we have the Anthony Wayne Trail. Um, and also railways. So tons and tons of railways just crisscross the nation and also the United States here, if we want to talk a little more locally. So those are the four right there. And we're going to move on. We're going to talk a little bit about the linen industry. So, um, you know, linen is usually clothes. So obviously population is up, trade is up. we got to make some clothes. we got to wear some clothes. So, um, you know, at this time it was not easy to produce um, linen because, you know, you had to cultivate all the cotton and then turn it into um, some type of thread and then weave that into cloth. And So we need to see some innovation here. So industrialization, all about innovation creating something new so just to give you a little idea i'm just going to do a little backtrack here of how things used to be done in the 1700s uh to make thread and cloth uh it was a very very small scale industry and it was done usually at home you would actually know the people you were buying stuff from and this was called the cottage industry and the cottage industry was just basically everyone knew everyone. You, you would stop by the person's house and, you know, you'd talk to the people for a little bit like, oh, hey, how are the kids doing? Oh, I'd like a new shirt. Oh, nice to see you, so forth and whatnot. Well, and, and this was generally very long and tedious hours, but it was done at home and it was done by hand. And now you can also say the cottage industry isn't just linen industry. It usually is associated with, but, you know, it can be other things. It's just kind of slow paced doing things at home. Well, innovation came in the shape of this thing called the flying shuttle. And the flying shuttle allowed for faster cloth production. And this was created by John Kay. Well, now that we're making cloth faster, we need to make some thread faster. So then they came up with this thing called the spinning jenny. And this produced thread faster. So um, now we just have this, you know, we're producing thread all the time. Now we're producing cloth all the time. And then now we can produce the clothes. Obviously, the linen industry has been revolutionized. And the spinning jenny uh, was created by James Hargreaves. And I apologize if I am not uh, pronouncing his name correctly. So now that we have all these kind of some of these new inventions, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about them, we need to power them. So we need some type of uh, way to get some motion in them. And, you know, we don't have exactly nuclear power plants or anything back then. So um, one of the ways we used to do things were water wheels. And that's where, you know, if you 
think about just this giant wheel where water kind of collects at the top and then it forces the wheel to go down and then it creates power. Well, that's how it used to be. Well, now we're moving into steam power and you need coal for this. Um, so anyhow, the English steam engine was originally created by a man of, by the name of Thomas Newcomb. Um, and, and this Newcomb guy, he was, uh, you know, think of the Newcomb engine. Um, and then that was kind of originally, but then it was later really improved upon by this guy named James Watt. So Thomas Newcomen, he was the one who came up with it, uh, in England at least, and then James Watt, he improved on it heavily. So, anyhow, now that we're powering all these things, and just to give you a, a couple little statistics here I thought were kind of interesting, 1760, Britain imported 2.5 million pounds of cotton. And just to kind of give you an idea as how the years changed with the revolutionizing everything, so that was 1760. 1787, we go from 2.5 million in 1760 up to 22 million. And then by 1840, we were up to 366 million pounds of cotton, which is just ridiculous. So, anyhow, uh, moving on, we see um, other industries um, creating things differently. So, for example, we see this assembly line um, process of creating things. So, uh, assembly lines, here's your textbook definition, manufacturing process where parts are assembled in sequential order. So think of it like this. If I was um, creating, say, cars, so you'd have one station where someone put the wheels on the car, next station someone put the doors on the car, next station someone put all of the windows on the car, someone in the next station would put all of the electronics in, and you just keep going down. So um, every person is responsible for just one job, and you just keep doing that job, and the next person does their job, and then at the end, it gets created very quickly. So... Um, Obviously, this made production extremely faster compared to what they were doing. So, all right, moving back on here, I alluded to earlier about how the population was growing. So the food supply was up, population was growing. So now we have all these people, we need to find them some jobs. So that's where cities started to grow because these cities were hubs for industry. People flocked to them because they needed jobs and cities were the place to go for them. So, and we didn't have as many of the power restrictions as we used to, meaning we didn't have to be located near water as much, although cities still do tend to go near water just because of transportation and so forth. Um, but businesses and everything grew within these hubs. And just to give you an idea on population growth, 1800, Great Britain had, um, in total, one city with one million people. Go figure, it was London. They had six cities with 50,000 to 100,000 people. All right, in 50 years, London had grown to uh, 2.3 million people. They had nine cities with over 100,000 people, and they had 18 cities with 50,000 to 100,000 people. And over 50% of Britons lived within cities. Uh, so we saw huge growth within that time frame. And this whole notion of moving into cities over 50%, as I said, for 1850, um, you can look at this as called urbanization. So urbanization... Uh, de definition for you, a movement of people from the countryside to the cities. And, you know, how do these people get to the cities? Well, railroads and boats, for the most part, brought people and goods and other services within the city. So, um, anyhow, all these people were in the cities, they need jobs, cities became the hub for jobs, so tons of people in the cities. So now that we're talking about these people here, and remember, we said they used to be working as kind of the cottage industry at home, not necessarily, um, you know, working in these big factories. Well, 
Now we start to see the factory work. So city jobs generally included a six-day work week, 12 to 16 hours a day. So if you put that at six days a week at 14 hours a day, that comes out to around 84 hours a week. So yeah, that's, uh, that's a little bit. Um, and most of them did not have any job security. And the reason I say job security and what I'm talking about with that is, you know, most people like, you know, I know when I come in the day, my job is going to be waiting for me here. Well, these people didn't know that. I mean, they could come in the next day and be replaced. And the reason for this was there was this huge abundance of workers. So people would just, you know, if, if you got sick, well, I'm not going to wait for you to get better. I'm just going to replace you because there's 10 more people waiting to take your job. And on top of this lack of job security, also, there was basically no minimum wage. People got paid terribly. And because, you know, kind of related back to the abundance of workers, was there's so many people, and say that I want your job and you're working for $5 an hour, well, I'm going to say I'll work for $4 an hour. You get fired, I get hired. And then now I'm working for 4 well, then maybe you want your job back. You're going to say, well, hey, I'll do it for three. And then I say, no, 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 I'll do it for two. I'll do it for one. And then we just see this kind of race to the bottom where the people pit, you know, are pitted against each other. And the real winners are the businessmen who are pretty darn greedy to begin with. And these jobs these people had were, were not good jobs. And we'll, I'm going to talk more and more about just the conditions of them. But just to give you a quick little version now, and I'll go in more in depth later. Cotton mills were especially bad. Hot long days at around 80 to 84 degrees constantly, which, terrible. Coal mines, um, you know, there's tons of hazards working in the coal mines. Cave-ins, explosions, gas fumes, uh, ruined lungs, you know, miner's lung, the black lung disease, and so forth. Just terrible. So, um, anyhow, we'll, we'll go more into depth, in depth about kind of the working uh, stuff here in a little bit. But um, now, as I said, these businesses and everything are changing a little bit. So we see a change in the way businesses are operating. So um, we have this thing called a shift system. And a shift system is where you produce at all hours of the day. And there's generally, you know, three shifts, first, second, and third shift. And maybe some of you have heard it before, uh, third shift is considered like the graveyard shift or the night shift. You know, it's the, you know, 12, 1, 2, 3 a.m. kind of uh, shift there. And then most people uh, in most schools operate, you know, in the first shift where they go in at like 8 or 9 and get out at, you know, 3, 4, 5 o'clock at night, working 9 to 5, so to speak. So we see this shift system is changing. Um, and now we have all these people that are working and, you know, they're working different shifts and they're working terrible conditions and so forth. Well, these people got to live somewhere and they all start living in these places called tenements. And a tenement is roughly a narrow four or five story building, um, no elevators, a lot of stairs, um, pretty limited plumbing, very limited electricity, depending on what time period, because industrialization was a pretty large time period. Um, tiny rooms often packed with a lot of people and these were the main housing for the poor and these were pretty darn gross and you know people would um, a lot of disease would spread because of poor sanitation um, like I said low plumbing so bathrooms were an issue so yeah pretty gross stuff um, so um, all right 
moving on a little bit, we're going to talk about some unions. And I'll give you the proper definition here in just a second. But um, labor, for the most part, was in three main areas. Mills, factories, and mines. So we look at these three areas, and because people were all kind of working the same jobs and, you know, it was kind of a, a low-skilled job anyone can do, we started to see this formation of unions. And so here's your textbook definition of a trade union. An organization of workers who band together to achieve common goals like wages, hours, and working conditions. Basically, it's a whole bunch of workers working together to say they want the same thing. And we'll get into the word strike here in just a second, which is usually associated with unions. Um, but anyhow, people are working together to try to advance each other, you know, like everyone's interests, like we need to work together. And, you know, the power of this union was that they could demand better working conditions or the threat was, I'm not going to work anymore. And it's not just me, it's going to be all the people here are not going to work. So employers then had to decide between either giving into the union's demands of like, we want more money. Well, I'll either give into your demand or I say no and now I have lost all of my workers and I suffer the cost of lost production. So... This, this idea of lost production where they're not going to work is called a strike. And a strike is a work stoppage caused by the mass refusal by employees to perform work. And I want you to remember the employees there because some people think that, you know, we have a lot of strikes going on when you see people outside like saying, don't buy from this place. There's a difference between a protest and a strike. And you have to be a worker to go on strike. So, you know, just a little uh, extra for you. Um, a little setback for unions, though, was the Combination Act, um, which forbid unions from 1799 to 1824. So they said it was actually illegal to have unions. And, you know, we see some little bits of that in the United States today where there's certain groups that aren't allowed to go on strike or, um, you know, aren't allowed to unionize. Um, you know, so, you know, not too much. For the most part, if you want to form a union, you can. Um, so... Moving on a little bit here, um, as I said, I wanted to come back to some of the terrible working conditions. And we said that the coal mines and the cotton industry was just really bad. So um, the sad thing about these working conditions is a lot of women and children um, were part of the workforce. They actually made up about two-thirds of the workforce. And children as young as seven um, could be working 12 to 15-hour days, six days a week. And the, and the worst part about this was they're working these long hours and they're making maybe a sixth to a third of what a grown man would make for pretty much the exact same job. And, you know, some people think, well, why would you hire a child uh, for, for something like this? And the reasons that children would get hired uh, were because they had smaller body types. They could fit into smaller areas and get, you know, inside of machinery to fix things and so forth. They had a lot smaller hands. Uh, so they could fix and do intricate things. Um, they were easier to train, because if you've ever heard the saying, a child's mind is like a sponge. And they obeyed orders for the most part, because it was easier to intimidate a child and to get them to, to do what you wanted. So just to give you a couple of ideas of th some of the things that would happen, if, if they were tired, the, you know, the, the, work, the, um, like the boss would basically turn them upside down and dunk their head in a bucket of water. Uh, they would get beaten or whipped um, if they were disobedient. They were they were forced to do some of the really bad jobs, crawling up mine shafts, um, you know, because they could get into different areas where other people couldn't. And just um, 
pretty pretty nasty stuff. And uh, just to give you an idea uh, of some of the, the working stuff, uh, Factory Act of 1833, um, this changed labor conditions for children for the better, mind you. Um, so kids still could work, um, but if you were ages 9 to 13, you could only work around a 9 hours a day. If you were 14 to 18, you could be worked um, no more than 12 hours a day, which, I mean, 12 hours a day at 14 years old is still a lot. And so we, we started to see, instead of jobs being going to kids, now the jobs are starting to go to women after this. And we already said that women were... Um, you know, kind of receiving a little bit less. And I know I like to keep this video, or video this, uh, this audio podcast in about 20 minutes. I'm going to go over just a little bit because I'm almost done with this unit. So we're just going to kind of um, uh, speed up here just a little bit because I don't have too much left. So um, just to give you an idea, um, industrialization around the world, um, you know, it it's spread at different rates and different speeds and different areas. And there's some areas today that are still um, having, you know, uh, industrialization going on. Uh, China is a big one that we can talk about. India is another. So um, everywhere is, you know, going at different rates. Um, and so the big question is a lot of people feel like, well, when do we industrialize? And, you know, oh, it's going to cost a lot and so forth. So the, the big first one was Britain. Um, Belgium, France, and German states are also real early on. America eventually, which we'll talk about more in uh, U.S. history. Um, and the reason these places industrialized um, when they did, did have a lot to do with the government. So the government in these places uh, of industrialization, you know, remember, they're providing money for things like building the railroads, building roads in general, building canals. So all of that is going to influence a lot. And that's kind of what we've talked about in this unit in general. Uh, and just to give you a little kind of preview for America at this time, or you know, 1830, 1860 time frame. Uh, canals, roads, and railways were being built to connect cities in America. Steamboats were going up and down the Mississippi River and Great Lakes. Railroads in 1830, we had less than 100 miles worth in 1830. 30 years later, 1860, we had 30,000 miles worth. So, like I said, just kind of um, telling you a little bit about America. Uh, much more next year, but, you know, continuing with America... Um, cities grew and sprang up all over just like they did in England. We had a lot of the same problems that they did in England, tenements, child labor, all that stuff. And the reason America industrialized around this time is because we were we were still growing and kind of starting off as a nation. So if you're going to start, you might as well buy all the newest and best stuff. It would be like if a school just opened, you would fill it with all the best new technology because it's brand new. You have nothing else to you know fall back on. You need new, You need something, so... Well, why don't you just pick everything up, uh, brand new? So, um, like I said, still going on today. Um, China, India are probably the two biggest ones, but we still see a lot of it today. So we're going to stop there, and that is industrialization for world history. I hope you enjoyed, and stay tuned. There's always more. Have a wonderful day.